Championship points for the sixth seed. Del Potro reaches up and serves, and Federer slices the back end down the line. It's floated cross court from Del Potro. Del Potro double handed this time, cross court and middle of the court. Another double handed from Del Potro, and Federer now opens up the forehand, but he drifts it long, and there is the roar for Juan Martin Del Potro. The smile on the face of the Argentine. He has won his first ever Masters 1000 title, his second title of 2018. His 22nd of his career, and he is the new world number six. A nice embrace from the players at the net, but here is the applause from the crowd. He raises his arms aloft after two hours and 40 minutes. Juan Martín Del Potro comes through to take the Indian Wells title against Roger Federer. 6-4-6-7-7-6. John Isner, 40-love-5-4. Championship point number one. Can he finish it off in style? Reaches, serves, slams. There it is! It's an ace from John Isner to win the biggest title of his career. John Isner is a Masters 1000 winner and he goes back to world number nine. John Isner in two and a half hours defeats Sasha Zverev. Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. And after a breathless few weeks at the first two Masters 1000 events of the year in Indian Wells and Miami, it's time now to sit back, relax, and listen to some of our favourite interviews from former WTA tour player Jill Krabus in Indian Wells and myself, Seb Lozier, in Miami at what was to be, of course, the last tournament played at Crandon Park. I'm happy to be joined now by Brad Stein, coach of Kevin Anderson. Brad, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Very happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> now, you've had a very accomplished coaching career, Coach Jim Courier, to number one in the world, as well as to four Grand Slam titles. And you've also coached other players such as Medvedev, Marty Fish, Grosjean, and Jonathan Stark. Um, you know, I know that you recently just started working with Kevin Anderson. Before that, you were with the USTA for a while, but you got a call from Kevin in the fall. How did that haul? all pan out? How did that start working together? Yeah, it, it was interesting, actually, because um, I, I had been working for the USTA for about three and a half years, been working primarily with uh, Bjorn Fratangelo, and um, we were doing off-season in Orlando at the time, and I actually got a call from Kevin's former collegiate coach, Brad Dancer, who previously also was the coach at Fresno State, where I still live in Fresno, and I had been a coach at Fresno State, and um, Brad called and was, was actually kind of fishing around a little bit to see if... Um, I could give him some recommendations of people that might be interested in working with Kevin. And um, I said to Brad, well, what about me? <laughs> and um, and was very serious, you know. I mean, obviously, with Kevin's ranking and where he was at and the opportunity to work with a player at his, at his ranking level doesn't come along every single day. Um, and I was very happy at the USTA. I, um, the three and a half years or so that I spent at the USTA, I think, were very good for me as a coach. Um, definitely working with, with players uh, at a developmental stage and um, again was very proud of the fact that I helped Bjorn crack the top 100 which he did 
the first year that we worked together and and everything and so th those accomplishments and and I felt I grew a lot as a coach uh, learned a lot as a coach at the USTA um, but when Kevin you know came knocking at the door and Brad kind of started you know he, he threw the line in the in the pond to try and kind of fish around a little bit I think to see if I really was interested um, created some conversation Kevin and I started talking a little bit uh, we had a long phone conversation between he and myself and Jay Bosworth who he's also involved with and um, you know things just kind of clicked and then I, I went down and spent a few days with him on court and um, again things just kind of clicked and went well and and then he asked me to join the team you know Kevin with where he was where we started I mean he was 14 in the world when you know when I got asked to be involved with him so he's obviously achieved an extremely high level of play already and um, and was but I but I felt like he was really uh, in a position to be able to continue to go higher and do more and one of the things that interested me uh, in discussing it with him in the first place was that that he felt that he still had a lot of room for improvement within his game and and that was something that that really made me interested you know I, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that really uh, wants to just travel around with someone who kind of wants someone to be with them you know to kind of help them out booking practice courts or doing those kind of things you know I mean um, I wanted to have some input and some direction as to what he was going to be doing with his game and and we spent some time especially leading up to um, the New York tournament we got to spend two weeks of training time in uh, Delray where Kevin lives along with Jay Bosworth and um, made some good adjustments I think that really had a positive effect on on his success at New York and in Acapulco and and since then and um, and so for me again those seeing those things I mean I think they're pretty nuanced you know and and um, they're not the most obvious things that people would pick up on all the time but but they're definitely things that have made some difference in his ability to execute on the court and and perform the way he wants to perform and we've seen good success from him so I've been really happy with that are there are there adjustments that you can share with us or is uh, that something between you guys and, yeah I'd rather not uh, yeah I'd no I, I understand you know, it's, it's, yeah it's um you know the tour is a funny thing you know because you played for a long time and it's it's not like anyone has the, the biggest secrets in the world because once you've been out there and playing for a little while people start to pick things apart and they notice things and they see what's going on um there, there were some things just that had to do with some small footwork adjustments in relationship to a few different areas and in, in how he was going to balls and doing different things and and um they, they've reaped benefits for sure in, in in his execution and um so those were just a couple of little technical changes there was a couple of little tactical things that we've talked about also again i'm not going to go into it necessarily some people may notice so hopefully some people don't notice and it ends up benefiting kevin in the end during a match um but but you know little things and i've found kevin to be really really receptive to those things he's he's a he's a tough guy on the court in some ways you have to um you have to make an argument and present your argument and and convince him of what it is that you're talking about and and get him to accept the fact that that you're right about what you're talking about um which is fine absolutely fine in my opinion i think it's actually smart for him to be like that you know um but once he accepts those things i've i've found him to be you know then he then he commits to making them better and improving and getting things where he wants them to be and so it's been it's been fun from that standpoint to see him make those adjustments 
I got the pleasure of talking to him and he was mentioning, I asked him about how he was letting out a little bit more emotion last year and how he felt that had helped him. Is that something that you're continuing to encourage him to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, Kevin tends to be a very analytical person and sometimes he can get too analytical and that, and that tends to lead towards him being a little bit negative at times. And so that was something that was implemented because they kind of gave me the background on that, the history with that, with, with his previous coach, Neville and Jay and they had talked about um, you know wanting him to be more emotive on the court and create more of a positive energy on the court which he really you know stepped up and did a ton last year I think now he's kind of and we've had discussions about him kind of settling into a more comfortable kind of natural um, positivity on the court where it's not as forced last year I think people players and coaches and and the media and everybody were seeing that it was a little bit forced in how he was doing it but he kind of needed that because he was coming from some uh, such a far distance the other direction that it was important for him to really like let it out um now he's kind of like being more comfortable with with just carrying himself his body language you know a fist pump a little bit more he still gets emotive i think at, a, at appropriate times when the score dictates it or there's a big moment or a um or a great shot is hit i mean i still i still think that you see him being very emotive at times which i absolutely want him to be 100 percent. so um yeah i think I, hopefully that's something that's going to continue through the entirety of of his career until he's finished now and i know you guys spend we'll be spending a lot of time on the court obviously um um, how, mu- how much is put into the mental part of the game? Because it's so much a part of it. How much do you as a coach spend on that? Or is that something that's for a separate person to work with Kevin on? I mean, Kevin, Kevin has a team around him, you know, and, and uh, but I mean, as a coach, I think that um, if you really, if you really want to connect with your player that you have to understand that aspect of it and and I think that you know you you want to be included and part of what's going on with everybody on the team when you're when you're coaching a guy at the level that Kevin's at um, and so those are areas that we're definitely talking about just like the the positivity and the the emoting more um, but but yeah his his approach I mean Kevin is Kevin is probably um He's probably one of the most intense and probably one of the most professional people I've been around since Jim. Um, not that the other guys I coached weren't necessarily, but Kevin just brings a whole nother level of intensity and, and purpose to what it is that he wants to do all the time. And, and um, I, I've enjoyed that, actually. I mean, he holds me accountable for what's going on on the court all the time. It's funny, if I go back to my situation coming out from collegiate tennis and working with Jim, I think that it made me a very strong individual when I was working with Jim because I was coming from a scenario where as a collegiate coach, you were, it was a very autocratic situation. You know, I mean, you dictated everything that went on with your players. And, and so coming straight from collegiate tennis, I kind of had that mentality. And I looked at Jim kind of like one of my players on my team. And if he reacted or, or conducted himself in a certain way, uh, I would be like, you know, if my player on my team did that, I would confront him about it and deal with that situation and not allow them to do that. And that's the way I kind of approached Jim. Um, and and um, so that was a really good thing. But then later on, uh, I think a great example is my couple of years working with Bjorn for Tangelo. Um, you know, I was really, really pushing Bjorn to try and become more of the leader of his own team. 
Um, I, I really felt that for Bjorn, and I still feel this way a little bit. And I think Bjorn's done a phenomenal job with this, you know, and he, he's he's been on the cusp of breaking back into the top hundred and really establishing himself, which I, I think that he's going to do. Um, but I think that a key element to that is is for him to really take ownership and leadership over his own team. And when I came into the to the situation with Kevin, obviously a much more mature, you know, veteran player. Kevin is absolutely the leader of his team. Um, that's not to say that myself or Jay Bosworth or you know the rest of the people on his team don't have input into what's or that he doesn't reach out to us. But it's like he's the CEO and president of his company, and we're consultants, um, you know, hopefully high-powered consultants that that get to give him a lot of input. And um, but in the end, I mean, he's going to make the final decisions as to what's going to be best for him. And I think that the guys that do that at the tour level that really take ownership over their team and probably start to they start to lead their coaches in a way you know um they start to lead their their mental coaches you know obviously you have to give them input but but i think those players that do that are the ones that tend to be the most successful probably this is ATP Tennis Radio. I am reunited with uh, well, one of my favourite interviewees from last season, uh, Petar Popovic, coach of the number 22 seed here in Miami, Filip Krijanovic. Now, the last time we spoke in Paris, Filip was losing the final. You were losing your shirt. Uh, fair to say that week changed things a little bit? Yeah, that week changed not a little bit. It changed like incredibly much. Now he's getting the matches he believes more, so he feels his favorite after every match. So before he was like outsider, and for him it will be incredible to win. So it changed completely his mentality, how he's looking, and now even if he played Del Potro or Nishikori next round, he will go for win. That's his. This week in Bercy gave him like huge per- perspective what he can do when he plays his tennis. What was the reception back home when, when he got home? I was completely crazy, you cannot believe. Like for two weeks, we had uh, maybe well, even me, I had 15 to 20 interviews a day. So it was like uh, for two weeks and uh, it was crazy. And uh, we thought we will not be that big because of Djokovic, because Djokovic was winning everything, but people maybe was missing for some fresh face and uh, yeah it was pretty crazy because we spoke about the fact then but he played 20 challenges last year won quite a lot of them that benefiting him now do you think yeah he won so many matches in last six seven months like he won five challengers so yeah he won uh, but even nothing can replace playing masters going in third fourth round you know, that's much more benefits that he beat top players, that he beat top 20 players, top 30 players. Even if a challenge is not easy to win, but this and even this week will give him the, yeah, the bonus to keep going. Just to, to go back again, what, what was the off-season like, knowing that you were going to take such a step up? Uh, the off-season was, was incredible. First two weeks, he was playing incredible level. Uh, and I even personally said to him, you're going to play semi-final of Australia for sure. And he was playing incredible level and then injury came. So three weeks before Doha, before first week, he gets very tricky injury of the ankle. And then the season was starting terribly, two and a half months off. And then, you know, I was like, who he gets such a huge boost in uh, Bercy. And uh, I think if he keep playing, he was continue to winning. And then he had two and a half months off. 
and then he was lucky to win first round in Rotterdam and you know to keep this momentum but uh, like I said was really tricky beginning of the season really really tough but we managed and we are still now again on the good way yeah and he looks pretty comfortable now at this level yeah he he feels pretty comfortable and uh, I think he can go much higher even if his his ranking is good and uh, next goal I think now in these days it's possible like any player in top 30 can get to top 10 because we are missing these best four it's not like before they're not untouchable so every you can win masters you can win 500s which before was you know very tough to do it so yeah we go for next round and uh, let's hope the dream will come true you're listening to atp tennis radio i'm in the players garden they call it just outside from the player lounge Uh, still very busy at this time uh, of the tournament and delighted to be with Martin Lorando first of all Martin uh, thanks very much for for talking with us on ATP Tennis Radio my pleasure coach of course of Denis Shapovalov who's had another wonderful win today and how do you reflect on the first three months of the season in all well, good progress. Uh, you know, he's he's getting to know the tour a lot more. Uh, still, pretty much every week is is uh, is the first for him. Uh, a first Australian Open, a first uh, Indian Wells, a first Miami, uh, first Acapulco, Delray. You know, every every week is still um, very new for him. So uh, he's still adjusting to to life on the tour, um, especially at this higher level, and. Uh, He's holding his own. I mean, he's he's continuing to, to progress, uh, getting more and more comfortable. You know, he's um, he's showing signs that his game is still evolving, and that's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's still it's incredible, really, to think that he's only 18, and you know, part of your job must be to temper expectations, both his expectations and everyone else's. Yeah, I mean, it. You know, last summer is is pretty far behind us but uh nevertheless uh you know everything just happened really quickly for him uh in a a small amount of time so um there's still as i was saying a a lot of adjustment to do he hasn't completed a a full year on on the circuit until probably the next canadian open um until then you know he's he's got to keep doing what he's been you know successful with and that's uh trying to play his game uh try to play freely and and and, and enjoying you know that uh rookie rookie year he said yesterday that he is feeling a little bit more pressure but but in a good way um presumably that's what you want him to feel well yeah i mean I, you know the sudden jump in rankings and and now playing the the higher levels uh, you know there, there is a, a lot of talk and a lot of brewing uh, out there that uh, you know he, he should he should write rise to the top very uh, as quickly as, as he came on but uh, I, I you know he's still got to go through the through every step and uh, his match count is still very low to, to uh, look back uh, on on experience you know he's he's got to fill his bag of experience still um, go through some of those tough matches like like uh, in the first round here and and um, against Tonga in, in in Melbourne and learn a lot from the losses more even more so than the wins uh, and so the, yeah we got to keep a, a check on you know uh, the expectations but uh, he he's a guy that's so far is pretty good has been pretty good with that he's keeping it cl- cl- uh, keeping it real in 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 many ways and. Uh, you know, he, he, he knows there's still a lot of work to be done. 
And in terms of his game, I mean, he's he's a guy who he seems to want to go for everything. He's got such big shots, obviously, and it's a, a massive part of his appeal. Do you encourage that for him to go for everything at this young stage? Not for everything. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, you know, maybe in the last couple of months was was doing a bit too much of that. But he, he's he's come back to. Uh, you know, working the point uh, a little bit better and, and being more disciplined and patient, so that he can he can really release that last shot that, uh, that that's pretty spectacular. But uh, trying to do that on on every ball uh, can get you in trouble. And so, again, you know, he he's a very creative. Uh, He's he's a cre- creative lefty guy that just plays different, and and he's very flashy. Uh, he he can hit winners from from all over the place. So uh, it's a good thing, but it, it it can be a problem sometimes when when you overdo it. So he's you know he's in that stage where he's got to learn when to do it, when not to do it, when to be a bit more um, patient, um, and that comes with with experience. He's just got to get out there go through those matches and um, and find that place where he's comfortable about um, some kind of structure but not too restrictive yeah you, you mentioned his match count is very low it, he's playing doubles here uh, is playing doubles something that you'd encourage in general yeah I mean he didn't have the, the ranking um, for a while there to, to get in but now he does so uh, every time he steps on the court in singles or doubles it's uh, it's an opportunity to get experience to learn uh, he's an aggressive player that likes to come in um, and finish the point at the net. So, you know, the, the more doubles he plays, um, the better for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, just the competitive situation of doubles. It keeps the players sharp in the off days. It keeps you in the tournament. It keeps your focus sharp. And, um, you know, it, it just grows his bag of experience. I mean, a, a, any any match, really, singles or doubles, is, is good to, you know, to get under your belt difficult question perhaps but as his coach if there's one area of his game that you want to improve the most is is there one can you pick one i don't know where to start because he's you know people forget he's only 18 you mentioned it earlier but uh you know there's still a lot of areas in his game that needs uh fine tuning and an adjustment and uh uh, that can be exposed or, or that can that can break at certain times but uh you know the, the the one area that I stress the most is the competitive mind. You know, just just uh, it, it's it, it can be stressful, and and when you when you train is one thing, but when you play matches, you gotta you gotta keep a lid on on your emotions, and you gotta use your emotions in in the right way. But you 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 have to be in control of them. Um, and you know he's he's an explosive guy, and he's you know he's got his personality and stuff, and he. He he knows when he overdoes it or when he's uh, a little bit you know subpar even on that level. So uh, the game is he's always going to have room to improve technically, tactically, um, but the, without without the competitive mind uh, under all circumstances, then you you can't compete at this level. So that to me that's that's always going to be a priority. And just finally, you're enjoying working with him, obviously, and with his with his mum, of course, who's also part of the team. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy sharing with his mom, uh, Tessa. She's she was a former player, and she runs an academy, and so you know, all her life has been spent on the tennis court. And she knows the game. Uh, she knows her son really well, and she she knows the game. Uh, so it, it's it's nice uh, sometimes to be able to to exchange uh, with somebody else and share views and. Uh, 
and, and try to combine really um, our knowledge, her, her, you know, as a mom and, and knowing her son really well, and, and me as as uh, as having a, a student on the on the men's tour. So uh, we try to join forces. This is ATP Tennis Radio. I'm here with Cameron Norrie, who just qualified for his first ATP 1000 event. Cameron, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. How does it feel to qualify for your first uh, ATP 1000 event? I mean, it feels great. Um, I was pretty nervous. And at one point in my match, I turned to my coach, Faku, and I was like, wow, I'm just so tight. And it was. I think that was great for me. And then after that game, I just... Um, knuckled down and played three sick points and came up with a couple of passing shots to break him and and then after that I played a very clean match to beat Stokowski and I couldn't be more stoked and pleased with how I've handled this situation to qualify for my first uh, Masters 1000. I'm just loving it. So so what do you mean when you say you think that was great for you? Do you feel like that let out a little bit of attention by accepting the fact that you were maybe a little nervous or your coach kind of gave you a little encouragement after that? Yeah, 100%. I think just being aware that I was tight and, and nervous and was able to move on from that point and, and just reset and the match started again so I was 4-all and I wasn't no panicking and just moved on and um yeah, it was, it was good after that. And I know last year was the first year that you just turned pro. Um, and before that, you went to college for yeah. a few years. Um, how is the transition from college to the pro tour? How different is that and how difficult was that? First of all, it was a tough decision to yeah. to turn pro yeah. to decide because you, you didn't finish college. Did you finish your degree? Uh, no, I didn't finish. I, d- I did three years and mm-hmm. I had a year to go. So. And so how, how did you come to that decision to decide all of a sudden, okay, this is the year that I want to turn pro? Um, so I was was the summer before last so the year and a half ago I was deciding whether to turn pro and I was ranked about 250 and um, I think I just decided I was talking with the coaches and, and they suggested Dave Redidi and Devin Byrne suggested that I stayed another year and mature and it was almost so tempting to turn pro then and there and because I had the ranking and I had a little bit of funding um, so it was just kind of tempting to do that but I think I need an extra year to, to mature so I stayed that fall and stayed the spring and um, just wanted to enjoy college and, and all my friends were at college and it was a great atmosphere for me so I just stayed there relaxed and worked on my tennis a little bit more matured and then um, yeah in summer last year I, I turned pro and then I was straight into the um, got some wild cards into the big grass tournament so I think it was um, a great decision for me to stay there extra year and um, it helped me a lot yeah. I know we mentioned you just qualified here but yeah. you also qualified earlier in the year for a, one, a 250 and a 500 ATP event. How did those tournaments help you kind of relax you a little bit and gain gain yeah. a little bit more confidence coming into this big event? Um, so yeah, I mean, I started in um, Delray Beach. I ended up getting lucky loser and then lost to um, Chung, who's, who did well. He made semis of Aussie and I was up a set in a break. So, um, and then the following week I qualified in Acapulco and then lost a tough one to, to Tim in the third set. So I'm right there with those big guys and I just that just gave me a lot of confidence and um, to kind of qualify and get those opportunities and I think I like playing at a big stage and um, 
I think it's helped me a lot and I'm playing some of my best tennis right now and I think whoever draws me in the first round is going to be um, not too happy about I it. I like that attitude. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's good confidence. That's yeah. great. And also just being around this event where you're seeing yeah. the Federers, Djokovic, Chilich, yeah. all those players. What? How does that feel just to be around those guys and to you know watch them over and over? I'm sure there's a lot of guys that you've looked up to. You've yeah. watched a lot of their matches yeah. and now you're part of it. Tell me yeah. just a little bit about how you feel about I that. I mean, it's it's great to be around those guys and, and it just feels like a grand slam and there's so much opportunity at these events and um, I mean, it's a great event so I'm, I'm really happy with, with qualifying here this week. I just want to focus a little bit on your Davis Cup debut recently. You had an unbelievable win. Yeah. Davis Cup was in Spain it was, and you yeah. beat Bautista Agut. A yeah. huge win. Yeah. How, how was that atmosphere? I mean, you're in Spain. Yeah. Everyone's against you. Yeah, I mean, Do you thrive on that or is that were you nervous? Because it is a little bit of a different feeling when you're out there playing for your country than when you're playing yeah, tournaments. exactly. I think I just wanted to get my teeth into the match and um, just tap into the right nori, which is the competitive one. And um, I managed to do that. And we actually had a lot of um, away fans that traveled, traveled to Marbella and um, they gave me a lot of um, noise and support. So it didn't really feel too much like an away tie. Um, but it was at one stage, I think in the, the fifth set, I was serving 3-2 up and the, the crowd just went crazy. So I think that um, that moment just stood in my mind and it was just unbelievable experience and to man- manage to get a win as well, which was, which was great. And um, just to prove that I could actually play on clay. I hadn't played on clay in like six or seven years. So wow. um, that was... Six pretty, or seven years? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I played, I think my last clay match was French Open Juniors. And playing a clay court specialist. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think he's probably better on, on hard. And I think the... For me, I think it was great though to, to get that one on the clay. Yeah, I mean, I think... I sure, mean, he was favorite. An amazing sure. clay court player. <laughs> so, I mean, that's an incredible win. So you should be proud of that. Thank you. Great. Thanks a lot. And I know you got a message from Andy after, Andy yeah. Murray after the match too. Yeah. You consider him obviously someone you look up to a huge yeah. mentor what, what did he have to say after um, that? I think he just said that I dealt with the whole situation really well and um, he was just proud of me and how I dealt with everything and um, yeah I consider myself to play pretty similar to him and um, just a lefty version of him and I mean it's just yeah sick to have a guy like that who's sending of that caliber to be sending you a message and congratulating you so um, it feels good and hope, hopefully he's back on on the tour soon and I wish him a quick recovery. I, I think we all hope that too but yeah. we're going to be watching you for sure so Cameron thank you so much for joining us best of luck to you in the tournament we'll look forward to seeing you on the court. Appreciate it thanks for that. That is all for this week. They certainly were two unforgettable weekends stateside. Remember, you can tweet us your thoughts at ATP Tennis Radio. If you like the podcast, you can leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to hear more interviews, head to the ATP Tennis Radio channel on TuneIn or through the official website, atpworldtour.com. Otherwise, join us next week as we mingle with the rich and famous and bring you all the build-up to the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters. Enjoy your tennis. See you next time.